Sustainability has become a very hot topic for corporate America. If you read articles about corporate sustainability, they often cite three main reasons companies are leaning into this concept. Number one, it's good for the bottom line. Number two, it's good for the planet. And number three, let's face it, it's good PR. But it is one thing to say your company is pursuing sustainability initiatives. It is another thing to actually make progress on those initiatives. I'm Tom Slaw, the Executive Director of the Technology and Services Industry Association. Welcome to Tectonic, the podcast where we explore what makes technology business models successful in today's world. And in this episode, I will be joined by Cynthia Curtis, who is the SVP of Corporate Sustainability uh, at JLL. And she will be uh, clicking into this topic of corporate sustainability and will be discussing the role of technology in helping companies achieve their sustainability goals. Also, we will discuss how companies navigate long-term sustainability versus short-term profits. Now, for those listeners not familiar with TSIA, we are a for-profit research institute. We are on a mission to help our member companies run profitable technology business models that unlock real business value for customers. So here we go. And Cynthia, you and I go way back, 20 years to be specific. I was doing the math the other day. And when we met, you were a marketing executive at EMC, now part of Dell. Um, but at some point, you made this major pivot. Can you explain to our audience you know, what you're doing now and how you made this pivot? Absolutely. And, but first, Thomas, what a treat it is to be here with you today. Thanks so much for the invite. I'm just excited to be here with you today. And yes, I made a major pivot, as you say, uh, primarily because I believed that meaningful action against climate change really wouldn't happen without business seeing it as an opportunity, without business getting more engaged. So what I'm doing now is uh, I work for JLL, commercial services real estate company, and I'm their corporate sustainability officer for the Americas. What that encompasses is helping to prioritize and set targets. One of the things that I'm specifically focused on and responsible for is helping to facilitate the reduction of our client emissions, so the properties that we manage on behalf of clients. I do policy advocacy work, and so we can talk a little bit about the, um, the SEC proposed rule, but I'm very heavily involved with that. And effectively, I am an evangelist, both yep. internally and externally. And you, you didn't leave EMC and go right to JLL. What was your first move into this space? When you, when you had this conviction that you, know, you needed to do something, I'm just curious, what was your first step in the journey? Yeah, well, so interestingly, you know, I had made the decision I wanted to do this, but also recognized that I really didn't have the background to be a CSO. And so, but I thought, well, I can be a marketing exec for a clean tech company. So that was my, my initial thought and my plan. And then um, I got lucky and got a job at CA Technologies. They were looking for a sustainability strategist and communications person. And I thought, I can do that all yeah. day long. And while I'm doing that, I can kind of bone up on, you know, carbon accounting and some of the real nuts and bolts. Yep. And on my third day, the guy who hired me was let go, uh, which meant that I was the only person in the company <laughs> with a sustainability title. So, you know, there was, there certainly was a part of it that was timing, but it proved to be uh, really the, just a great yep. move. And it allowed me to then create the program that I thought 
CA needed at the time. And, you know, the reason I ask you that is on this podcast, we talk a lot about career trajectories and how people, you know, make really interesting and diverse moves, you know, that can really pay off in a big way down the road. And, and a lot of times what we talk about is somebody, let's say, for example, they're running a professional service group and they go over and say, hey, I'm going to go run sales for a while. In your case, you went from marketing to marketing, so leveraging your core competency, but totally shifting, in a sense, the vertical industry because you had a passion toward this this other industry. And then we're able to, to grow into a completely different role out of marketing into the yeah. CSO role. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, so that's, that's yeah. Totally. But I yeah. have to tell you, I, I rely on my marketing background every oh, single interesting. day. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so core skills that you built there help. The other thing I'll, I'll just put on the table, you know, our audience are typically, you know, leaders within technology companies. But as you know, every technology company, uh, even post-COVID, still has a lot of real estate in play, a lot of commercial property. And, and so my sense is, you know, the opportunity around sustainability as it relates to your real estate footprint is probably a massive opportunity for most companies. 40% of the world's greenhouse gas emissions are from the built sector. Really? See, there, there's... Four, four wow. zero. So there's a stat I yeah. did not I did not have. The, um, yeah. so, Huge yeah. opportunity. So, so let's start with some foundational you know, thoughts here, concepts, and that is the term corporate sustainability. So what exactly does that mean? Fundamentally, it's a strategy aligning a brand with positions, with targets that address both risk and opportunities that are associated across the breadth of what's known as ESG, environmental, social, and governance. You know, essentially people think about sustainability more on the E side, more of the environmental, but it does span those three okay. areas. Social being kind of D&I yeah. or whatever, governance, you know, essentially good business. Mm -hmm. But I, I think for, for obvious reasons, the primary focus usually is the environment. Yep. So I think it's also important Thomas, to, to note um, your opening comments about the uptick in attention mm -hmm. for s sustainability. And it really is investor driven. Mm -hmm. You know, ESG is looked at by many in the investor world as a proxy for future performance. That if companies don't have a plan here, that that could impact them in the future financially is what investors are saying. And so they want to see, okay, what are you doing on this topic so that we know you're going to have a viable, you know, you can operate in the future, in other words. Yeah, that's interesting. So can you give, and again, let's, for these tech companies, they have, you know, and maybe if we talk about the building, the, you know, corporate office environment, what are some examples of efforts that you're seeing around sustainability within that? What, you know, what are companies or, you know, not just tech companies, what are companies doing around their office footprint to improve sustainability? So a host of things. It really does start with energy consumption mm -hmm. and driving efficiencies. And, you know, you just think about your own home. You've swapped out likely your light bulbs for um, LEDs. That was, there was an immediate payback for that, right? A little bit higher on the upfront, but immediate payback. That is, if you will, just an analogy of the opportunity of savings and efficiencies that are rife across uh, organizations um, for, for driving down their, their energy consumption. Everybody really does start with that because it's the biggest, immediate most impact. significant yeah, yeah, energy. But then there are a host of other things that companies can do and are doing, and it gets into product design, circularity built into the design of products, looking for ways to embed sustainability thinking throughout. What are the things that I can do in my own job that can 
have a positive impact. So really looking at how, how they can embed it in using technology, frankly, in ways that can help drive and improve processes. And you don't think about necessarily that there's a sustainability component there, but there is. And you know, in many ways, driving that AI and using machine learning and that has, again, kind of immediate paybacks of making buildings smarter and just minimizing the energy consumption that is is the major driver. So, you know, I'm not close to this space. And so I'm curious, and, and I'm going to take you back to EMC days. So if you think about 20 years ago in tech and people were designing pieces of hardware, first of all, do you recall, were there any discussions back then around things like, okay, how do we really focus on the energy you know, footprint of this product? How do we really think about recycling every component in an environmentally friendly way? Were those things on the table 20 years ago? Funny. So actually when I was at EMC, and as you know, I was in the services yeah. space and was hearing from our customers that our equipment was an energy suck. Well, that's right? what I recall, just, not just from EMC, but every, you know, I was right? just at Silicon Graphics. It was, they were all, <laughs> they're all energy sucks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, so I actually spoke to our head of marketing, corporate marketing at the time, and I said, hey, you know, I think there's something there. And I think that there's, you know, it wasn't, sustainability wasn't the term yeah, at that time, yeah. uh, really dating myself. And, you know, and I said, I think there's, you know, there's a way for us to have a play here, um, not only with our products, but I think in kind of shaping, I was thinking more on the policy side. And he said, no, Sin, you know, this is really an engineering yep. thing. Yep. You don't need to worry about it. Engineering will take care of it. They, you know, and I thought, yeah, okay. I mean, I wasn't, I, I didn't do a great job, obviously, of closing the sale, yeah, yeah. but, you know, it was thought about, but only because we were getting pushed by yeah. our customers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I, you know, I put that on the table because I just wonder, and I, and I hope, I guess, that in today's world of designing technology, hardware, et cetera, that this is much more front of mind, right? That they're, that they're sitting there going, you know, what is my energy footprint? And again, all these components, how are we going to have the full life cycle of that component, like you were talking about earlier, embedded in our design thinking from the very beginning? And, you know, and it's interesting because I was reading this article that was an interview with executives around, you know, sustainability. And 84% of them said, look, we can't get to our environmental sustainability goals, you know, without technology. And so if you if we bring back the lens, I mean, what do you think are some of the most promising technologies you see companies could be leveraging to accelerate their sustainability initiatives? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not at all surprised by that stat. Mm -hmm. We know we have a part of our, of our uh, investment arm is called, um, from our JLO technology side called Spark, and we invest in existing and emerging energy technologies. And a lot of it is really driven around smart buildings, mm -hmm. AI, machine learning, grid interactive efficiency buildings, that kind of stuff. So it's, it really is creating some disruption in a good way into current real estate energy management practices now and, and, and going forward. So it really is the smart buildings piece and the AI and machine learning that is, that is driving, that, yep. I think, some of the most interesting and exciting. We, we recently acquired a company called Hank, mm -hmm. and it doesn't actually stand for anything. It's because the guy actually... <laughs> Thinks you know everybody likes Hank. That's a good name. Um, I'm not kidding. It's a, uh, it, but it's a, it's a cloud-based um, platform that's powered by AI and machine learning, 
and it solves for HVAC programming inconsistencies and energy and equipment performance inefficiencies. It optimizes air quality, maintenance costs, tenant comfort, energy efficiency. And so at the end, it ultimately is delivering increased net operating income for real estate investors. And so it, it, it's you know not unlike kind of the LED, right? It's, it is a payback that you see almost immediately. So those kinds of things where it can iterate learn and correct for inefficiencies you know live um well this is this is a really cool example because on this podcast we talk a lot about digital transformation the potential of digital transformation for companies both in their own internal efficiencies plus then them helping their customers and what you just described you know i would play back as energy efficiency as a service in other words, Hank, you know, is a company that can come up and say, look, this is the classic digital transformation journey. Let's get you connected, right? So let's get, you know, what's going on with your HVAC and everything connected so we get telemetry. Let's take that telemetry now and put AI around it and be a lot smarter and then play back and actually manipulate, you know, what you're doing to make you as efficient as possible. I mean, it literally is energy efficiency as a service enabled by the cloud and digital transformation. Yep. yep. Absolutely. And so let's kind of stay on this thread of digital transformation. And as we watch more and more businesses go through that journey where they're digitizing the way that they do business, I mean, do you see any relationship between industries that are becoming more digital and then that hence improves their corporate sustainability? Yeah. And actually, I really do point to the tech industry. I think they are in many ways leading in terms of the creativity and the, the solutions-oriented thinking. So one example is Microsoft, right? Microsoft, which I think I, I previously, a few years ago, was thinking about them the way of the old IBM, the kind of big and lumbering and whatever. Well, they have doubled down on their sustainability objectives, have committed to be carbon negative by 2030. And what they mean by that is that they will effectively erase all of their carbon emissions from the inception of the company. They don't know how they're going to do okay. it, but this is their call that they've put out. And as a result, and they're putting major money behind this, so they're also the first major company to um, have instituted an internal carbon price, which was really very leading. And they put all of that out into the market, how they did it, what their, um, what their thought process was, how they measured, uh, how they uh, divvy up the costs, all of that is out um, you know, for anyone to take a look at and learn from. But what that resulted in, Thomas, is that they are getting, again, some of the best and brightest to come to Microsoft because they're saying, look, we don't know how we're gonna get there, but we're gonna solve this problem and we need help to get there. So it's not only helping them in terms of solving for their commitments that they're making internally, but they're also creating new products. So they have this new product now called the Sustainability Manager, and it's actually pretty slick. They're also attracting the best talent. You know, so it's, um, I'm not sure if I'm exactly answering your question, but that's an example of what Microsoft and Salesforce has added sustainability just last month, I think, as a core company value. And that means it will be operationalized throughout the business. So they're tying executive pay to their ESG performance. 
Um, by 2030, Google's gonna operate everywhere uh, on carbon-free energy 24-7. You know, this, so there's all, it, there's some really great stuff being done by the big guys, um, but then there's also a lot of these really exciting smaller startups. Another kind of example, can of it to Hank is this company called Turntide. It's a smart motor system mm -hmm. Never heard of with cloud-based controls yeah. and monitoring, minimizes energy consumption, always, you know, because every building has a gazillion fans and they aren't always opt operating at optimal power. And this, again, is using kind of AI uh, and, and cloud-based controls to drive and ensure optimal running power for all of these fans that you have. Again, immediate yep. payback. So really cool stuff. You know, so as I listen to you, and, I, and I, again, I'm just literally learning real time, you know, about this concept as I listen to you, and, and a couple things strike me. First of all, as you mentioned, those companies, Microsoft, Google, Salesforce, et cetera, and we've had this conversation previously on this podcast. I believe that this next generation of the workforce is much more attracted to mission-driven companies. They want to work for companies that they feel have a compelling, valuable mission, not just, hey, I'm working for a company that, that is really profitable or makes a lot of money or just, you know, or my options are great. I mean, you know, those things are are important, but I, I do believe that people want to, to work for companies that are mission-driven. And so those are companies that are saying part of our mission is to be a good corporate citizen, right? To be a good steward here. And we are going to prioritize sustainability. And so I, I think that that becomes more and more of a differentiator. I also, as I listen to you, and I'll go back to this concept of digital transformation and what we just went through in the pandemic. So coming out, and you know, I spent a lot of time with executives going through this. As you know, everyone had to go to at-home workforces. Now everybody's debating hybrid. And there's a lot of discussion around the savings of that, right? The more virtual we can be, the less buildings we can be. I mean, that is a real substantial payback, right? Cost savings. CFOs are very excited about that. What I have not heard, and I'm surprised now as I listen to you, that people aren't leaning and saying, hey, this is not just about us saving money. This is about sustainability because I would submit every virtual meeting you do, you just help the planet <laughs> instead of throwing people on a plane, right? Every every building that you say, look, I don't, you know, I can, I, I need half the corporate real estate being heated and cooled and everything that I did before, that is a positive impact on the planet. And, uh, and I'm just surprised that people have not connected those two thoughts, unless I'm just not yeah. seeing, I mean, you're, you're closer to it than I am. I mean, are people connecting those dots, sort of a post-COVID world being ideally a more sustainable environment? Hmm. Yeah, complicated kind of yeah. answer. So the short answer is some people are connecting the dots. And yes, clearly the, the fact that, that we weren't traveling, globally we weren't traveling, for effectively a year and a half, two years, that made yep. a difference, right? There was a measurable, noticeable reduction in global mm -hmm. emissions yep. because of that. Now, now that we've kind of come out, in quotes, of COVID, we're back at levels pretty much pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. Now, what many businesses are, are trying to do, where one of them is say, let's hold on to the learnings that we had. We didn't have to get on a plane, right? We don't have to have eight people go to see a client. We can have one or two and the rest can be virtual or we so, can, so you, know, I, you do need I, that in-person stuff, I wanna, right? I want to jump on that. I, I, I'm sorry to interrupt you. I, want, I, I need to jump on that point right there no. only because here's, here's my 
belief, my premise, based on, again, just watching how you know tech companies are operating. I actually think if you look at, the, I agree, the travel has come back, the data is there, but if the mix of travel is different right now, I would submit the vast majority of travel is still personal leisure travel. That's, and that's what I even witnessed, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'm not traveling anywhere near what I traveled for business. And what I am seeing is that companies are all thinking along the lines of what you just said, which is the great lesson from COVID was, was not that travel, we're not saying business travel is going away, you know, and no one's ever going to do it. But there's a lot more discretion and you're thinking about it. Right, a lot more discernment around. Wait, to, to the point: Do I need to send six people to that meeting, or 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 two? Do I need to do that meeting in person, or maybe that is a Zoom meeting? And, and there's other meetings that are in person. So I do think that corporate America has come out much more discerning about when you jump on a plane. Now, do, I mean, what what do you think? That's that's again, that's my working theory here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think you are spot on. And that's a good thing. Yeah, we're, we're trying to, again, learn from what are some of these lessons we can take and then, and what we're trying to do is, okay, how do we put those now into policy? Right. How do we update our business travel Policy. policies yeah. to reflect what we've learned during COVID? The challenge on, on your other point on the office space, yeah, one of the things that I think, which we have learned as well, is that yes, you don't necessarily need to be in the office and, and or the office space that you do have needs to be modified, updated, reconfigured, whatever. Yeah. And that's happening across the board, but it doesn't necessarily result in lower emissions because just all of the technologies that we were just talking about in yeah, terms yeah. of building management and, and efficiencies and all that, you get those when you have professionally managed building you don't get those at home yeah yeah yeah. right your home your home heating and energy and all of that is not as efficient as what so it's nuanced it's nuanced that one is one you got to be a little bit careful about of of drawing conclusions well that's good that's a good again i'm learning as i as as we as we as we click into this thing so i want to go back you made this comment about investors are pushing on this so i read this Accenture study that stated the companies focusing on sustainability are 2.5 times more likely to be among tomorrow's strongest performing businesses. And so how is sustainability becoming a competitive advantage? Again, maybe being mission oriented, you know, help you attract talent. I think that may be a benefit, but what are some of the other benefits that you think exist for companies that are really leaning into this? Yeah. What the research and studies have shown is that it's not so much that your profits are going to be that much higher, but when there's a downturn, the dip is going to be much less, right? So that is really very much about a, a risk mitigation Interesting. strategy. That's okay. yep. one of the things, right? And, and that's been proven out over time, that the companies who are really leaning in on ESG and managing their business in that way have less negatives than hmm. others. They also do have some some more positives, but it's more about the less negative. So it's more about it, it, over, over more about long, protection over on the, the downside, term. is what you're saying. It, yeah, and that you know, and that you, you think about that, Thomas, and that would hold true. You, you just think about what's good governance, right? Good governance is about managing, mitigating risk, and ensuring that you're you're moving forward, and you're not going to get mm-hmm. whacked when you know, say, a global pandemic hits yep. or something. Yep. So that's one piece of it. Absolutely, it's the talent attraction, no question, but the Efficiencies. So when you when you think about you know again the energy efficiency, that's one piece of it. But that is 
one example of every business has efficiencies that they can find. And you know that, right, from oh, yeah, all absolutely. of your work. I don't care how good you yep. are. There are efficiencies that you can find yep. everywhere. And so if you have that mindset and that, that thinking of how do I do this better? How do I do this process efficiently. more efficiently? Yep. How, do I, how do I minimize our waste stream so I'm not spending the money on, on hauling away waste? How do I minimize my packaging so that, again, I'm not filling up warehouses yep. with unnecessary packaging? How do I ensure that I can that the componentry that I'm using is the most effective, efficient kind that would fit that need. Who are my best partners? What's my supply chain? If I think about things, if I design things in a, in a, from a circularity lens, that means that I'm going to have closer, deeper relationships with my suppliers. All of those things are aspects that a good investor is so what at. I yeah what I hear there is this very high correlation or relationship rather between a sustainability mentality and efficiency in general right so because if you're going after sustainability it's almost by definition you are becoming more efficient because you're constantly it's in your DNA or you're constantly looking for ways you know to be more efficient and that's obviously you know, helpful to the bottom line. Like you said, helpful, we, you know, we have a recession or whatever. It's like not a bunch of, of, of fat, if you will, that you're like, oh, I got to go figure out where I can trim it. It's like you're running pretty efficient in a lot of different streams here, which is cool. Now, I have to push or ask this question here. This tension, though, between short-term profit and long-term sustainability. So, and you use this example of the light bulbs, right? And and that reality is there is a bigger upfront cost to go out and buy a bunch of LED light bulbs and replace them all. And yes, I'm going to get the benefit over time, but you know, if I'm a company, let's say, and I'm just completely changing out all the light bulbs in my in my office that quarter or across all my offices globally, there's a short-term pain there, right? And you know, I'm not sure Milton Freeman would be a huge fan here if he said, "Hey, you know, sustainability is somebody else's problem. Shareholder value today is the job of the executives." So, what's your, what's your response to that concern? I think Milton would be a massive fan. Yeah. I disagree. <laughs> but, but what Milton what Milton didn't what what he did not take into account was externalities. Yeah. And on that point, he is 100% wrong. Sorry, yeah. Milton. Yeah. He he he's wrong. Because you think about the materials that it that you need to operate your business to build products, whatever it might be, air, water, you know, they're not free, but we've treated them as being free. And then whatever waste that we've then resulting from our products, we also don't really count because it's kind of free. We'll just spit yeah. it out there. So wrong, right? You have to account for the whole if yep. you will, the whole of your product. So I think I think Milton was wrong. But yeah, I mean, are there certain projects that the upfront cost is significant and you're going to get a, a longer payback than perhaps what your traditional hurdle rate requires? Yeah, but the other point is, is that you have to look at the fact that it is a guaranteed payback. Whereas companies make investments all the time and they'll be like, yeah, okay, well, you know, uh, we expect to see a payback of X percent in, in this time. And 
you know, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. They'll buy companies and, the, you know, and then they will implode or Oh, we've whatever. never seen that in tech. We're talking about, <laughs> make, you know, you're doing a, you're doing a, uh, an LED light bulb again right. to beat that dead horse. That's a guaranteed payback. How many investments do companies make, yeah. make that have a guaranteed payback? Not so yeah. many. So one of the things actually that we did at, at when I was at CA was to adjust, I mean, this took years, but to get our executive team to recognize that there should be a different hurdle rate for sustainability investments yeah. than for some of our other yeah. investments because of the risk factor. You are de-risking that yeah. investment. Yeah, that's, fa- that's fascinating. So that, so that is definitely an angle of getting through that knot hole on short-term pain versus, you know, long-term benefit. Um, and, and another question here around sustainability, you just put this on the table about the fact that you have to think about, you know, the waste, about everything involved with the product, not just that I made this product and I shipped it out there. And, you know, that, that reminds me, I, I was doing some consulting work with, with Ford and when I was at Silicon Graphics in the late nineties. And I remember that there were, several people in Ford, they were convinced that the federal government at that time was going to start legislating that auto manufacturers had to basically have a strategy on how to recycle all of the components of their car. Because as you know, you, you take a car, you stick it out there, and when it's done, I have these tires. I have, you know, I've, got, I've got stuff that is now, what do we do with this? And, and that they were going to make that if you will, <laughs> the problem of the auto manufacturer and say, look, you just can't release all this product into the environment and say, well, hey, not my problem. But it didn't happen. And I know they were kind of surprised. But I'm curious, I mean, do you think that we will see legislation as it relates to end of life for product components? And that could have a massive impact on the tech industry, as an example, right? If, we, if they had to be responsible yeah. for the full life cycle. What, what are you seeing there? What are your thoughts? Well, I think as in a lot of areas relative to sustainability, Europe is leading the U.S., right? So there's, there are more regulations and guidance around that. Personally, I don't see the U.S. federal government legislating that any soon. time soon. But, and this is probably the, the better result anyway, is that there's finally greater recognition that there is value still in the products, the components that have been built and shipped out, right? So, so that's resulting in companies, businesses actually wanting to kind of keep tabs, wanting to be able to, to, to have, you know, encourage some kind of a product take back. And a lot of tech companies, I mean, certainly we've been doing this with cell phones and laptops and all of that for mm-hmm. a while, but that has really stepped yep. up. Why? Because there's only so many rare earth materials. We just can't continue to think that we can mine and whatever, all of the various materials that we need, components that we need. It, it just doesn't exist. So I come back to the circularity lens and designing for reuse and repurpose. I think the business case for it uh, and the business desire for the need for the materials is going to further accelerate that happening. I would love to see some policy around it, of course, 
But if we can get there with business actually saying, oh, there's an opportunity here, maybe well, I should. Well, I I, do I wonder, about it. you know, as I listen to you, I, I I wonder if Europe becomes what I'll call the the California of the United States when it came to car emissions, right? So, as you remember, California used to put the most stringent requirement on emissions, and auto manufacturers would just then build to that. And then every state benefited, right? Because because California is such a big market. Yeah. And they're like, I'm not going to create two versions of the vehicle. I'm going to meet their standards. And that becomes really the default national standard. If I'm Dell EMC now and Europe tells me, hey, you've got to have a strategy for taking care of all your components, end of life, et cetera, et cetera. Once I meet that bar for my European market, do I just basically say, well, that's just the way I do business across all markets, whether it's legislated in the United States or not? Right. Well, and, and I will say, so the short answer, I think, yes. is yeah. yes. If you were doing business multi-regional or global, then why would you do it otherwise? You know. And in fact, my former EMC, now Dell, they have a goal to, for 100% renewable, recyclable packaging by by 2040 yeah i've seen that on their website so yeah, yeah. yeah i mean right so they're stepping up but you know the the interesting thing is that thomas europe has come out with relatively recently new regulations around reporting and transparency of carbon emissions mm-hmm. and reduction and all that and so that's big right and so you're doing a sizable amount of business or a reasonable amount of business in europe you're getting caught up in those regulations regardless The SEC, which I referenced earlier, the SEC has released a proposed rule requiring disclosure and greater transparency around climate risk. What are your goals? How are you going to get there? What are your emissions? It's a big deal. It it has landed this issue right in the lap of every CFO Mm -hmm. of every public company, and over the way even private companies, because private companies are their suppliers. So there you go. It's landed right in the boardrooms of companies all across this country. And we actually, we, JLL, submitted comments basically in support of it. We, we agree with the idea. You know, we believe in greater transparency. We believe it's healthier for markets. You know, there were some issues that we, that we wanted to flag that we think need to be reconsidered. But genie is out of the bottle. Regulation's coming. And it's... You got to get you ready know, for it. It's going to drive behavior yeah. change. You know, I, and the reason that I invited you on the on the podcast here, and I wanted to get this topic in front of our our audience, you know, of, of of corporate sustainability, is I agree. I think this is this is you know coming our way for sure. I think it's something. This is not you know a left issue, a right issue. I mean, th- this is uh, this is an issue for tech leaders to understand, right? Because there, there, I think there will be more global regulations. Number one. Um, you know, that you're going to have to deal with. I think that, again, um, your employees, especially your, your newer, younger employees are looking to you as leaders to have, you know, some thought leadership here and have, you know, something around this. So, so I think it's something that we've got to start to get our, our heads around. Uh, just like, as you said, often this is part of the, the ESG and, and, and thinking about diversity, et cetera. I mean, I've watched the lens on that just explode in a very positive way in the last couple of years in tech, right? And people saying, look, I've got to be transparent on my diversity and inclusion objectives and what I'm doing there. And, and, and there's a, you know, a lot of you know, scrutiny, again, in a positive way on that. And, and tech leaders have had to lean into that. I think sustainability is the next train coming down the track, right? That they're going to have to pay attention to and, and, and navigate. And I think this is, again, this is not a left or a right or whatever. This is just the reality of, of, of being an effective uh, you know, technology leader. I think you've got to understand the concepts here. I'm going to give you one, one last question here. 
you know, if we take this to a personal level, right? So what, what would you say for you know, any professional out there? You know, what, what could you do to help move this concept forward? What would you tell an individual, like myself or anybody, say, hey, Thomas, this is what you could do to help? Well, I think asking the questions, right? What's the, what's the carbon footprint of, of my product? If it's a physical product, how can I design it for circularity? Do I need new partners to, because it's really a systems think? How's my company mitigating climate change? Ask the questions, learn, you know, find out, and then raise your hand and suggest, volunteer, whatever. Evaluate your role. What can I be doing differently in my role? Even if you're in accounting, what can I be doing differently in my role? You know, less paper, whatever it might be, right? Um, Adding sustainability into the evaluation for M&A, as an example, right? Your organization, you've got a DE&I policy yep. on your website. You don't have an environmental policy that I could see. Why not? There you go. Because that's the second train coming so down the track. Help. What do you think we're having this, this whole podcast here? I got, I got to get the speed. <laughs> Thank you, Cynthia, for pointing that out. I mean, the important thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no problem. Yeah, always, always a joy to um, catch up. <laughs> I think the important thing at the end of the day is to just is to take a yeah. step, yeah. right? Don't get frozen by the enormity because, you know, it is it is big. And yes, it's it's um, it's important. Another train come down the pike, and you need to be a good manager and all that. But oh, by the way, do you like clean air? Do you like clean water? Do you like to see wildfires burning half of the country? You know, I think the answer to that would be no. We all have a responsibility, and we all need to be accountable. So take a step well on that take a a step i mean i'll go back to the travel side of it i think for all the professionals out there i think we do have a we had a great lesson learned about when we you know again travel's not going away i don't think you know travel's important but but you know there's i think the bar is different you know for all of us as professionals in terms of when we really need to jump on a plane and i'll give you another simple example i made this commitment i don't know it's about three years ago i said i got rid of the printer in my office and I said, there's no reason I can't do every document I deal with digitally. I can turn it into a PDF. I can sign it on my iPad or whatever. And so I have not printed out a piece of paper in my own personal office in three years. But it was that whole concept. Well, it was that concept of why it's, you know, I'm just doing it because it's old habit. Right. But I, I, I think and you, you talk about the accounting department. You talk about, I mean, I think you're right. I mean, every individual and every individual department there are little things you could be doing in your workflow and, and, and just the way you're approaching, you know, the day that um, why not? You may say, well, gosh, this isn't going to make a difference, but, but why not do it? It's going it's, it's better, not worse. Right. So, so why not do it? Anyway, we're, we're, we're out of time here and I really, it was great to catch up with you after a, a long time. And, and I know uh, you're very passionate about this topic and I am personally thankful there's people like you out there that are passionate about this and staying on top of it for the benefit of, of all of us. And I, you know, I always like to end here with a, a question of the day. And I am infamous for telling technology leaders that unsustainable business models are unsustainable. And so I, I think the big question for the day here is, is it sustainable for your company to have no sustainability strategy? Thanks for listening, everybody. Cheers. <laughs>